a security piece. Thanks for joining us for the Breaking Into Security podcast series. I am here live with two amazing people. Chris Olam, my co-host. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey, everyone. And the wonderful and amazing Sean Thomas. Say hi, hi to everyone, Sean. Hey, everybody. So Sean is on with us. He is one of the paranoids of Verizon Media, which is a group I've heard a ton, a ton, a ton about. So I definitely want to start picking his brain about that. He also is the host of the Detections Podcast, where they talk about a ton of different things. So, Sean, we usually jump in these special editions by finding out what your background is and how you got into security yourself. And then we start talking about how we what you do to bring other people into the industry. And I know you're doing a ton. So go for it. Sure. Sorry. That sounds great. Um, so I have been in industry for about 10 years. Um, I started fresh out of school with an associate's degree. Um, got a job at a small managed service company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I was with them for about a year and a half, learned everything I felt I could and kind of felt it was time to move on. Uh, a friend and colleague from there um, was doing some federal government work, which brought me to the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Um, so I came down here. I worked for uh, one or two government agencies in their SOC before I transitioned off to the role of an engineer. Um, however, that didn't last very long. Um, being a sim engineer, I moved about six months into an IR consultant position based on some work that I did with the IR team. And they basically stole me from the team that I was on. I did that for a long, long time um, until I got an opportunity to move back over to the managed services side as a virtual CISO and then their director of threat assessment team. From there, I went on to uh, another company uh, as a manager slash director at another managed service where I ended up with the Paranoids um, as the head of their security operations center. Very awesome. And through that career progression, um, do you think that your entry into the the field is the same as someone coming in today? Or do you think that it's changed so much that um, new candidates need to take a new approach on things? I think that my approach could work for somebody, but it doesn't have to be the one that everybody has to take. Um, there are so many different ways that you can get in from, you know, you can go get a degree and you can go that path. Um, I know I've been held back a little bit for not getting my bachelor's degree, but I don't know that I'm ever going to. But you can also go um, to conferences and connections and do that kind of stuff. Um, for me personally, if you build a fairly robust home lab and learn this stuff on your own, I'll give you a shot in an interview. Like it doesn't, I'm not really worried about traditional education when I hire. I don't know that that's everybody. But I know I don't care about the traditional education or certifications. I care about the knowledge that a person has. So however they get that, I'm, I'm cool with that. And in regards to um, that home lab that I'm guessing you're looking for, that curiosity, that drive outside of the certification or the schooling, um, what are some of the things that you look for in asking those types of questions? Genuinely, I'm looking for, like you said, the curiosity. Curiosity part is really important to me, but it's not the only part. The other part is a desire to understand. So there's different types of things that you can do. So there's there's a desire to, to know an answer, and then there's a desire to understand the answer. I genuinely look for people with a desire to understand the answer, not just know it. Um, a lot of people get that when they do stuff on their own and when they set stuff up. They want to know why they got to that point. 
um, and that becomes really interesting and valuable. So if they don't have, oh, I was gonna say, if they don't have the experience, um, one of the questions from our guests is, if they don't already have the experience, how would you look for them to get that experience? So there's a couple different ways, and we touched a couple. So you can do the education and certification route. Um, there's some that are really cheap. There's some that are not as cheap, but there's a lot of reading that you can do too. So if you have some idea of where you want to go or what you want to do, and full disclosure, I've been threat detection and response basically my entire life. Um, so that's my experience is in that space. But you can read, you can look at stuff. Um, if you're looking at home labs, like I would genuinely suggest things like Security Onion. You can set up your own bro and or like Suricata Snort IDSs. You can do that on a Raspberry Pi. So like the, the cost is pretty low. Um, and then just start looking at your own traffic and analyzing your own traffic. You can go watch conference talks. Um, I'm going to self-promote, which is something I'm not super, I don't super love. But I've done a couple on like introduction to malware analysis. There's a lot of other people who have done that topic really well too that'll walk through how to do file analysis and stuff on systems yeah we were talking right before you joined in about the um some of the interview questions that you tend to ask and getting to the right answer or getting to the answer so talk to us when when an entry-level person is coming in and they're trying to study and be prepared for getting into an interview with someone like you what are you looking for and how are you assessing what they know um, and their knowledge and what would make you bring them on your team? Sure. So probably the first thing is that my interviews don't really change from entry level to not. So I largely interview in, for an intern spot the same way I interview for a senior analyst spot. Um, I ask the same kinds of questions, often the same questions. It's just how far deep down that rabbit hole I dig. Um, base is kind of where their level is when they come in. Um, the other caveat, and it's important that I say this is a caveat, this is how I work, not how everybody works. I don't ask memorization questions. So, you know, we deal with phishing a lot. Something like 90-some-odd percent of breaches come from phishing emails. So I'll ask questions like, if I slide an email in front of you and I say, I think this is suspicious, how do you look at it? What do you do? What do you look for? And then we'll follow that trend. And if they talk about links, they'll say, well, how do you look at that link? Do you click that link? Where do you go from there? What's the next step? What's the next step? And we'll dig until we get to a point where somebody doesn't know the next answer. Um, inter interview tip for everybody. If you don't know, that is fine. But I will gain a lot of respect for you if you ask, because that will show me a certain level of curiosity if you ask for an answer. Right. And we, we talked about this a little bit. You're trying to understand the process. I was telling Sean earlier that back in the day when I had this, my, my math teacher, favorite teacher of mine, when he would give you partial credit. So we're working through a math problem, you get to the end and the answer is wrong, but you get a lot of credit for all of the all of the work that you did to get to the end. So Sean and I were talking a little bit about the process, like what the, the steps that you need to take to get to whatever it is that you're trying to solve. So. Exactly. And, and then when when you're looking for new new individuals that might not have that experience, how do you look for them to demonstrate that on um, a, a resume? So to make them stand out from the crowd if they don't have that, that title, that job title that shows that they might have that experience. So 
one of the things that I tell, if you don't have a set of experience and a lot of people don't, and I see this a lot with my intern recruiting specifically, because we do that a lot, have a mission statement. Tell me what you want to do. That's really important to me because if you don't have an experience, if your resume, your resume period should tell a story in my mind. It should tell me what you've done and what you want to do. So I really am looking for people if they don't have the experience to tell me that story right up front and directly. Really looking for a job as a SOC analyst or would really like to do defensive infosec or pen testing or whatever, not that I hire for that. Um, And then anything that they do on the side, I tell people constantly, if you go to conferences, if you've taken any classes, even any online classes like from Udemy and all these other online places, um, cyber, cyberary, cyberary. Um, If you've done any of that stuff, that stuff should be reflected on your resume. Not only does that show that you're spending your own time doing this stuff, it's also showing that you're coming from a place where like, this is experience for you. I count that as experience. Your home lab, if you don't have a like healthy amount of personal experience or work experience, put your home lab on your resume too. And the types of projects that you do at home. Yeah. I know you also talked about passion, which all kind of, it buttons this whole thing up. Mm -hmm. And there, there are multiple types. So like, I I don't ever want to give the opinion that like for, for me to hire somebody, they have to be, you know, a 24 by seven or they have to work nonstop or they have to go home and only do this. I don't do that anymore. I do probably way more than I should, but I don't do that anymore. Um, you, it's just about putting in the time. So if you don't have the experience or a way to get the experience in your nine to five, you're putting in a little bit more time. It doesn't mean you can't have a personal life though. And I think we often kind of over expect people to not have a personal life, especially when they're starting out. I don't know that that's fair for every candidate. Right. It's just about making sure that you gain the set of skills and understanding that you, you want. Um, and how you do it. And I'll give a, a plug to one of the other things that I'm involved in. If you're interested in the blue team side, there's a, a group called Security Blue Team that's building training right now. I'm actually one of the academic advisors for that certification, relatively inexpensive certification. And they have an even cheaper one called Camara, which is a really good entry point into like the basics of phishing and digital forensics and so on and so forth. Okay. Hopefully it's okay to give a shout out like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, we Thank always... You ask our guests for like the types of resources that either they use themselves or they recommend because most of the individuals looking at this podcast are looking for exactly that. You're looking for actionable tips and tricks that they can use to alter their search, their career, their progression. And that's what, especially from special editions um, like yourself, we're looking for you as a hiring manager, what you want to see the next generation of candidates have so that you can help hire them. Sure. I would really hope I recommend them since I'm helping develop the content. (laughs) Cool. We got a couple of questions that came in here. Um, David DePazio wants to know what kind of a home lab? Are you talking about a Cali VM with some vulnerability VMs? So it ultimately depends on what it is that you want to do. Um, I don't have, I I do have a Cali box, but I don't genuinely do a tax simulation. That's for CTFs and stuff when I'm at cons. Um, I have a laptop that has Ubuntu 14.04 and Remnux, which is a malware analysis distro on it. Um, I have a Windows VM on that so that I can test stuff in a Cuckoo Sandbox, which is a free and open source tool. Um, I also have a full Ubiquity stack, but I didn't used to 
Um, I used to have just an IDS and stuff that from a little fanless box that I built. Um, so it really depends on what you want your focus to be in and kind of how you build that to find the tools that are beneficial for you. Um, on the defensive side, Sands has some really great VMs that are built. FireEye has the Flare VM from our analysis. Remnux exists from a malware analysis perspective. You can do, um, I can't remember the Sands one off the top of my head. Efer, yeah, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, there's a new one that I just found out about called Tesseragi, which is kind of cool. Um, it's another malware box. It's a little bit newer than Remnux, and I've been meaning to play with it. But even a Raspberry Pi with, like, an IDS is enough to get you involved in, like, looking at network alerts and things like that. So kind of custom-tune that to the type of job that you want to do. Right. And then Henry says, with no on-the-job experience, but with lab experience, what do you want to see on the resume? Will you really reach out versus the one who has a limited experience? So I'm thinking that he means, um, you know, you put the lab on there. What differentiates, I'll add to that question, what differentiates resumes for you? If you, you, you just said that when you post, you get 150 um, people applying. How, how, how does a person really make their resume stand out? The mission statement. Um, if, if I'm going to bring in somebody with limited experience, ultimately I'm going to look for somebody who wants to do the work that we're doing. So I'm not just looking for somebody who says, I really want to work in security. I'm looking for somebody who says, I really want to protect a company. Right. I'm looking for somebody whose lab is built towards protection or doing link analysis or something along that nature. Um, I'm looking for people who have done a little, so you can do a little bit of research, like for my company specifically, and I'll pick on my, my intern that'll be coming in in June, and hopefully she won't be mad at me for this. Um, she got the internship, and I mean, she's like ex-Olympic horseback rider, like when you're oh a college, not a lot of general security experience. But she went out, she watched my conference talks, listened to the podcast, and then found the open source software that we create for network capture, which is called Moloch. She installed Moloch over the weekend, watched the stuff that I did to kind of figure out how to build her lab and figure out what things I would, would be important to me. Um, and that's what I call the, the non-creepy level of like stalking a hiring manager. <laughs> there is a creepy level of stalking a hiring manager. Please don't cross that line. Um, but like looking at any of my public works, completely acceptable, right? So, and then tuning your resume and tuning your learning to the public works of the place that you want to potentially work. I, it's a bit of a cheat, but like it works. Yeah. Yeah. You, it totally you, know what, does. you know what questions I'm going to ask at that point. You know what I'm looking for because you've seen the things that I care about and speak about. I always tell people be the solution for a hiring manager's challenges. And that young lady did just that. She mm -hmm. she knows exactly what you're working on, exactly what you're looking for, and she's a, like a direct target. It's like a, it's like a laser, you know, versus being broad. So that's awesome. She sounds like she's going to be an amazing intern. I think so, and I genuinely so when I do internships, it's it's important to note that I don't do internships based on the most qualified candidate. Now, the only downside of our internship program is you do have to be enrolled in the university. Um, but I don't do them based on the most qualified candidate. I do them based on the person who will get the most out of it. Um, in a lot of ways, I hired like that to a certain extent, although I do have a little bit more of an expectation of knowing a bit more on day one for somebody mm -hmm. that I just hired. Um, but honestly, I would rather 
raise somebody up within our organization without the bad habits than I would bring in somebody. There's a phrase, um, you can have 10 years of experience or you can have one year of experience for the last 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And we find a lot that have one year of experience for the last 10 years. and Those are a lot of bad habits to break. So I tend to bring in relatively entry-level candidates even when I'm full-time hiring because I think they just, there's more interest, there's more, there's less bad habits to break. And as long as I see that curiosity and they, they think, they think through problems rather than just wanting answers, right? Like that's what I look for. Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned what you look for when the resume gets to you, but how does the resume get to you if say the organization is using an applicant tracking system or um, there's recruiters that are screening? So how do you get past um, the gatekeepers? So I am super controlling about my hiring process. We don't have any. Um, However, however, like I look at every resume that gets submitted to me, which is time consuming. But I want to make sure that I find a candidate that's going to work for my team and nobody else is really qualified to tell me who that candidate is. Um, That said, you know, we have a great recruiting team that does set up stuff for us and does kind of tell us, like, we think this person's great. Um, it never hurts to reach out. Um, you won't always necessarily get an answer, but genuinely, and this is a little cheat, and I don't know this this will work for everybody. Somebody reaches out to me on Twitter and like asks for advice or says, hey, I just applied. I'm more likely to remember their name later because they took some initiative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've used that um, in, in all my job searches, reach out to the company, the individual, mention my interest, uh, mention that I applied, or even um, trying to get referrals. So uh, find right. someone in the company, ask them about the company culture, ask them about the company mission, just to make sure it aligns with myself, and then ask if they have a referral process or if they know the hiring manager. So as you talk about the the interview, like the, ref, the company culture and stuff like that, if I can give a piece of advice about interviews, the questions that the interviewee asks are just as important as the ones that I will ask somebody. Like, you're interviewing the job as much as I'm interviewing you. Like, I genuinely want to see a lot of good questions. I, I want to see you very curious about the work, about the culture, about how you fit. It shows a certain amount of, like, long-term interest um, in is this a fit for me and not just I want the first job that comes to Right. And maybe that's a bias, but I think we all develop them to a certain extent and then we try to fight them and bat them down later. Now, can you say that again and again and again? (laughs) It's another thing that I tell people all the time. It's like I'm talking to you, Sean, and you're talking and you said it's like me. It's like me in a different body. (laughs) But I tell people the same stuff over and over again. They ask the same questions and it's like you want to research the company. You're interviewing the company as mu- and the person, the hiring manager, as much as the hiring manager is interviewing you. And I think especially at an entry level, because as, as, as people get more seasoned, they understand that the interview is a conversation. Every we, You know, we're filling each other out. You're filling me out to see if I'm a good fit. I'm filling you out to see if you're a good fit. I'm looking for things that, you know, positives, negatives, you're, you're doing the same thing. Um, but especially in that very, very beginning, I think that with entry level people, they think it's like a bit of an interrogation <laughs> and not, yeah, and, and not and a, a conversation. We as a semi 
socially challenged industry can often make it a little bit of an interrogation. Um, I've had I've heard stories from people that I've interviewed about other interviews where like they get cut off mid sentence to ask a question and like just horrible, horrible experiences. And if if any hiring managers listen to this, please know that you will get people's best if you make them comfortable. So please make them comfortable. Don't make them nervous. Yeah. Like try your best to make people feel like they can be comfortable and have a conversation because then you will really find out if they're worth coming in or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And um, so the folks that, I mean, we could go down a whole long path about hiring managers and interviewing questions and all the things that I've seen in my career as a recruiter and coach in this space. Um, but for the entry level folks, the folks who are really, looking to make a good impression and understand you know that what i mean what you said about the questions having those questions having very interesting curious questions um about the company about the work about the individual is so key because it really shows it shows so many things it shows the curiosity it shows the research that you did you know you didn't just show up to somewhere and you know with your resume saying i want a job and uh, sometimes it is this extra legwork that goes into that because especially when you're you're new and you're trying to break into and you're trying to get a job at multiple different places and you have to kind of research each individual place and potentially multiple managers if you're being interviewed by a team all of that but it's so worth it like you put the work in on the front end and then you end up with multiple offers on the back end i'll even give you a freebie question that you can ask people. And nobody ever asks this question. It's weird to me. This is the first question I ever ask usually. Well, maybe not the first one, but the most important. But what, what's the statistic? They say like 80% of people leave jobs because of the manager. If you're not asking your manager how they manage or the potential hiring manager how they manage and what their style is, you're probably doing both you and him a disservice. Yeah. Or her. Um, because maybe you don't line up with that management style. Maybe that doesn't really work for and that's a really good thing to know when you start a job so that you don't get surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I think that's, I, I think an entry level person would be so nervous. To have something <laughs> like that. They probably would. would. Away from that. But for the seasoned people, I mean, that should be kind of standard. Like what's yeah. your management style? How do you like, you know, people to work? What's your team like? You really are trying to get a feel for what is going on inside that organization. Why is the position open? That's like my first question. What happened to the last guy or girl? You know, what, what's going on? Your glass door reviews have some bad things said. What does that mean? No. <laughs> <laughs> I admit, I, I've asked that. I have, I, have, I, have, I have asked that in an interview. I Don't admit, though, I like a gutsy uh, junior because I tell every single person who comes on staff with me from the intern up, like, I want you all to feel like you have a voice. Like, I don't want you to be afraid to ask a question. So I genuinely like a gutsy entry level, but that's not going to be everybody. And I always yeah. have to clarify yeah. that I am, I think, often considered weird. Yeah. But how I, 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 think stuff. It, I think if you're outgoing to that point, right, and you're interviewing the company as well as that they're interviewing you, if that's your style, you really want to find a company with that style because if you have to restrain yourself all the time to fit into that company culture, right. you're not going to be happy in the long run. Yeah, mm -hmm. it'll be a short, it'll be a revolving door, like some of the places that we've seen. Yeah, uh, I mean, they exist. 
Um, if you end up in one of those places, piece of advice for you. Two things. First off, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go nerdy with some like math and like line chart kind of methodology here. Um, I rate whether or not it's time to leave a job on a graph. So there's two bullet points. There's what you get from a job and what you give. And if you start a job, what you get is always going to be way higher than what you give. And over time, those are all going to balance out. Um, when what you give starts to go way past what you get, it's usually when I start looking. Um, that tends to be kind of when I know. The other thing, though, that's really important, and this is something a lot of the people that I've mentored struggled with, no matter how bad a job is, there's something to learn. So try not to forget that and try to look for the learning opportunities. If you work at an MSSP and you feel like the work that you're doing doesn't actually provide any value, but hey, guess what? They're co-managed, so they have every single enterprise security tool on, you know, 100 clients' networks that you can log into you have a wonderful learning opportunity in front of you that you can use in your time or any any downtime that you have. So, like, just try not to forget the, the tools and availability at any place, no matter how bad. There's probably still something to learn. That doesn't mean don't leave when it's time. It just means you could probably still learn more. Yeah. One of the questions from um, one of our guests was, how do you deal with interviewers that may have been fired from their last role? It happens. Um, To be completely honest, it does happen. Not everywhere is a direct fit or a, you know, a culture fit. It doesn't always work. Full disclosure, I've been fired from jobs. Um, Sometimes you have to find the place where, like, you can have a voice and you can be comfortable being you. Um, for the most part, if they were fired, you know, with cause and that cause, I think, would be a problem. It'll probably come out in how somebody comports themselves in the internet. But I tend to not judge people based on their past because companies are different and people are different and you know, yeah. things happen. Theodore uh, Johansson says, so turning your resume for said company and said position, turning your resume into that isn't what isn't that what personal letters are for? Or is it best to do both? You can do it in a personal letter. I don't know that I ever really fully read them, though. Yeah. Um, hiring managers tend to scan. So yeah. we were talking. I, I get 70 to 150 applicants to a job. Um, I tend to scan. So if anybody's familiar with newspaper terminology above the fold, I'm going to look at the first half of the first page, and I'm going to probably make a decision based on that of, as to whether or not I want to continue. So yeah. your most important information should be there that first half of the fold a page that kind of goes into your history and like storybook format is really interesting if I'm really interested in you, but not necessarily something that I have time to read right up front. Yeah. I I hope that doesn't sound cold. I'm trying to be as candid and honest as I can. You know what? You're being completely honest. Like I say it from a recruiting perspective, but sometimes they don't believe me. You know, they need to hear it directly from the person who's reading it. So I tell people all that. So, depending on the company and when you're in these big enterprise organizations cover letters are typically hardly ever read like it gets separated from the actual resume so when a when a recruiter or recruiters don't typically don't read them at all period some hiring managers from in smaller organizations like nonprofits and things like that when they don't have a ton of resumes or a ton of applicants coming in they might read them you know i've heard of manager or two saying i read every single one but it's typically not for security roles 
in my experience. But every single thing you're saying is correct. Like people, we skim things. We have 150 resumes in a stack on a, you know, and you're opening up files on a computer and you're just clicking through. You're scanning everything. It's all a scan. Like you're spending a couple of seconds on there. So it's really trying to see what is relevant, what, you know, and it's, it's, it sucks to say this, but it's like, you're digging more, more resumes than you're keeping, right? You don't want to oh, yeah. end up with a pile of like 50 resumes. You want to end up with a pile of 10, you know, like a handful. Out of 150 resumes, I might first pass, take that down to 25 or so. And then I have to tune that down to about five or six that are my top candidates that move forward for the first phone screen. Right. And if I don't find any in the first phone screen to move forward, I go on to the next piece. Yeah. So you're basically paring down. So you're taking the broadest view possible and then you're paring down, which is why I say like that first half of the fold is what gets you past that first piece, first yeah. half of that first page. So I'm not looking for a book about what you want to do, but a couple paragraphs of very interested in defensive security operations. I have set up yeah. a home lab to do it. Then the home lab is later. I can check right. that later. Awesome. Um, also, also, no, go ahead. I also tell people all the time that since resume is a big topic, when you're um, when you're entry level or if you have less than five years experience, your res your resume should be one page. Period. It should. And, I, and then, and then, because the second page is like you have five years experience or less. Second, should never go higher than two. In yeah, my personal that, opinion, that's a different conversation. For a different day. Now you that can have a technically detailed resume that you take to interviews that is yeah. much longer, like your full technical history. Right. And the CVs uh, and the government stuff is separate because they do, they ask for like the whole world. Mm -hmm. So out when we're talking about just, you know, corporations, fortune 500, fortune 1000 companies and other non-government entities. Um, the resume, if it's five years or less, one one page, um, everybody else two pages and that's it. And then that top part, like I, what makes me laugh about people a lot is they will put, um, their name will be like huge. <laughs> their name will take up so much space. And I always shrink it down. I was like, I, I mean, I know you love yourself. Like Renee Small, big and bold on the top. Like we know who you are. We want, <laughs> we don't take up a whole ton of space with like your name and your address. I mean, it should just be like name, email, phone number, the way to contact you, and then jump directly into what Sean talks about with that targeted mission statement and then your experience. Like boom, immediately. Not a whole lot of other stuff floating around up there that um, you know isn't relevant for the job or isn't like speaking to the job, speaking to the manager. So you can totally wow factor for about 20 bucks with a resume template. Like I have bought one and I have used this for a long time. Um, however, it's not a visual resume. Like I don't do the visual ones as much, but it is like columned out. So I have my job experience on one side and then on the other side, I have like some notes. So like my contact information's in one piece, um, speaking engagements that I've done is in another piece, my education's in a piece. So like it's all logically laid out with some bullet points of like my leadership skills and my technical skills. Yeah. Um, I never ever put if you're working a job currently, I never put the name of the tool that I used on the job either on my LinkedIn or on my resume, by the way. Yeah. Um, offset concern, like somebody gets a hold of your resume, they know what tooling <laughs> the company has. Right. We are security workers. I do have a little thing at the bottom called technology. 
that just says common delimited every tool name so that you show up in the searches that I use. Um, the one that I send directly to hiring managers doesn't say technology. It says buzzwords because that's the <laughs> one that recruiters pick out. Yeah. yeah, totally. So Derek Smith said there's some great commentary on this one. Um, Duncan McGallan is making a ton of great um, comments here. Derek Smith says, love it. You can learn every you can learn from everything you do if you see the worth in it. And I think that's when you made your point about being in the MSSP mm -hmm. in a rough situation and you can learn from that. Um, Sean, Cody says, Sean sounds like someone I'd really love to work for. <laughs> sounds like Thanks. Versus just a good manager. I agree 100%. I would have loved to work in your team. Um, Duncan wants to know, is there any value in cover letters? So we just talked about that a little bit. But, you know, you said you you, you don't really get to read them much, right? No, yeah. I don't. Yeah. So um, when you have a lot of years of experience, um, how far back do you cover? What do you find relevant? What do you find important? Okay. So um, typically your most recent job is your most important, right? For many years of experience. So what I've taken to do so that I don't go over two pages because I've had quite a lot of jobs is my early jobs that are relevant are only years and title at the bottom of my resume. So there's no bullet points for them because I don't think what I did 10 years ago really needs bullet points. Um, and I'm basically, as I, as I grow and I have new opportunities, I'm shrinking down the bullet points on older jobs so that I can stay within that two page. And eventually it'll just be another line item. Like here's, you know, two lines, company title, uh, year and that'll yeah. be all that's there for that job and that's okay that represents that I did it gives the timeline of my career without the bullet point piece right um, and that'll okay. largely be the, that's been my suggestion but I mean that's just me that's an excellent suggestion that's my that's mine too um, and when I help people especially people who have 20 25 years because I'm, I'm seeing David Burley and Duncan saying they have all these years of experience. And that's exactly the type of advice that I give to folks that have when it starts to get, you know, too elaborate and you're listing things that you did 20 years ago and stuff, it's all more or less irrelevant, especially if you've grown in your career. So if you started out as managing or, you know, you were the intern 25 years ago, we don't care about that if you're going in for a VP job today. <laughs> so, right. so yes, it's nice to say that you worked at these places and the dates, um, and then that's it. Everything else is like the last 10 or so years, unless something in there was just so impressive in that other span of time that you do want to call that out, but that will be called out in like an executive summary anyway. Um, so would you ever drop something off, um, to avoid, the uh, ageism of that you're too experienced or you've had too much time in the field and you don't want people judging you based on that? I don't know. I haven't had that problem personally. I was going to say, that old. <laughs> um, so I, I really don't know. Um, I don't tend to look, I mean, and I genuinely hire mostly for entry level, but I don't tend to look at it from that perspective. Like I know guys who have been doing this for, 20 or 25 years, like working in socks. And if that's what they like doing, that's what they like doing. There's a, a rock and a wave theory, right? You have, you have your waves who are going to be with you for a year or two, and then they're going to go. And they're, they're great. They're the passionate ones. They're the ones who are going to be doing all this stuff at home, go to every conference. And then you have your rocks who are going to come in, they're going to do a really solid job, and then they're going to go home to their family. And this isn't their whole life. I need both types of people, not just one. 
I can't function with a bunch of rock stars, and I hate that term with a burning passion. Um, and I can't function with a bunch of people who are just happy where they are today. Like I need both sides of that to have an effective team. I think. Yeah, that's so. Um, I, I hate to use this word, but mature of you because some people don't <laughs> fully understand. You really are a leader for real, because you know as many lead leaders. Quote, I'm air quoting here. <laughs> Leaders and managers that I speak to, you know, may not don't fully grasp that, and may look at a person who is, you know, a solid. They they may want all rock stars on team, or may want, you know, a lot of um, quote stable stable people on the team. But having that combination of both gives you such a good team dynamic, and the different perspectives. I mean, Chris and I talk about. Uh, um, a diversity of thought all the time and different perspectives that come from somebody who's been doing the same thing over the years so you've seen it evolve and evolve and evolve and then people who are coming in and out bringing in different ideas so I think the combination of having both of those types of people on a team is fantastic also rock stars will hurt your team not help like if you if you consider someone and treat someone like they're better than everybody else around you you're yeah. hurting your team structure. You're not helping it. It's yeah. not good for anybody. One person can never accomplish what a team of people can do. It's just not possible. Plus, right. you don't have that diversity of mind, of, of experience, exactly. and of thought if you have that one person trying to do it all. And that's why I tell every single one of my employees from the intern up, the newest one up, that I want to hear what they say. Because, I mean, new people have different ideas, even without experience. So for anybody listening who, who doesn't have a lot of experience, you have ideas, though, and I like those ideas. There's like I like to hear them because you don't I've been doing this long enough that I might be stuck in my ways and somebody should push me out of that concept and maybe teach me a new way of thinking about stuff. And that would be awesome. Yeah. Like this is yeah. a human game more than it is a technical game. Like it's there's so, so much human to it. And even when like so I do threat detection and response, it's about thinking like an attacker. It's not just the technical ability to look into it. It's thinking where they might want to go. What are they trying to get? What do they care about? You don't really need experience to do that. Right. That's how you think through a problem. But right. just life experience. Mm -hmm. They might not think like, oh, we, we talk about, um, Chris and I talk about diversity of thought and the people that come into the industry and me with my HR hat. What, what really connected me to security when I was in actually sitting in the threat and vulnerability management team, the insider threat stuff was so fascinating to me because I'm coming in. I work with our insider threat team all the time. I love working with that group. <laughs> that stuff was, is so fascinating. It's fascinating stuff. And it was interesting to me as an HR person because I'm coming I'm coming in with the HR hat on and I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, almost every breach out there was an insider. You know, there's just so many things that was so fascinating and interesting. And then I would come back to my leader and go, Oh my God, why aren't we doing this? And I would be nudging and pushing, like, Why are we, you know, why aren't we connected with HR? What's going on here? And I know nobody else either remotely thought about any of it because they didn't have the experience that I, even though I didn't have any experience in security, the experience that I had with the HR had on from those other experiences was a different lens and a different perspective. And then Chris always talks about like being on the help desk and hearing from the different, when you're mm -hmm. on the help desk, that's an awesome place to be because you're hearing everyone bitch about like, <laughs> what oh, yeah. 
all their different problems and my, come in and bring a whole different perspective. My last intern who I hired, so he's been full time with me for going on uh, eight, nine months now um, because he was an awesome intern. So outside of his education, like his background, and this was when I thought I couldn't hire him, I was helping him do his resume. He came from restaurant management. He's like, I don't know how that relates. I'm like, that relates a lot. High stress situations, long hours. There's so much that you can pull from the things that you've done in your life prior that you can actually make relevant for this industry on a resume. And when you talk about it, like you're in a restaurant, like that's a super high stress place. Like what we do is relatively high stress. Use that, pull on it, sit Use that experience, like pull from your life, not just your technical side. Yeah, yeah. Chris and I, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago. I forgot her name. And she came from the restaurant industry, and that's exactly what she said. Thinking on your feet, high stress, you know, situation, new, new, new people coming in every week, every night. Not every week, what am I talking about? Every day. You know, you got something yep. new going on. So all of that totally made a difference. Um. Oh, Duncan says he's had some really great comments. How how many of us have taken company confidential data with us to use in the next role? It's true. <laughs> That's very very much the insider threat problem. Yeah. 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 Totally. So I know it's we're at forty minutes right now. We're over the half an hour mark, but I feel like we could sit here and talk to each other all day long because Sean, you bring such a great perspective. So many different. Um, really relevant things to the table, especially for those entry-level folks, the people who are really, really trying to break in and what you look for since you hire so many entry-level people. So, uh, Chris, you want to ask your final question before we take off? Sure. If you had to summarize everything into one piece of sage advice uh, for those looking to break into the industry, what would that be? Care less about having the right answer and more about knowing why. Perfect. Perfect. Well, well, thank you so much. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah, this was fun. We have to have you back. Thank you again. Thank you, everyone. All the, 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 all the comments that came through were awesome. This is such an great, engaged group of security peeps that we have out here. So everyone, we look forward to seeing you later on this week on the Breaking Cybersecurity Podcast. Take care, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.